Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cast podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bouncer. And today, it's fast. It's quickly approaching, my friends. The moment that we've been waiting for since what, March, April, ever since the hiring of head coach Jerome Tang, it's right around the corner, and that is the first, albeit an exhibition. Game for your Kansas State men's basketball team. So we're going to be giving our season preview for it, as well as going over some pretty big non-rev news in the soccer and volleyball realms. And then, of course, everyone's favorite, the wacky segment of the week. But the men's basketball preview is probably going to be the meat and potatoes of this episode. So let's dive straight into it. So... Before we talk about the team this year, I didn't put it on the outline, but we can talk more generally about the team last year. We don't need to pull up anything specific because the number one word that really comes to my mind is disappointing. For uh, for last year's team. Yeah, for last I, I think team. that's fair to say, especially in the way that they uh, would consistently find a way to build up expectations out of seemingly nowhere, all for it to just crumble when the pressure really seemed to amp up. I mean, I'm thinking back to uh, like the Hall of Fame Classic where we had two games with the exact same score that went in vastly different ways. And then you come back, blow out North Dakota, beat Wichita State on the road, all to come back to a game against Marquette uh, where they finally like get a good student turnout for the game all to lose at the very, very end, uh, which was very frustrating. Then going on the road and beating Nebraska and uh, doing pretty well, then losing close game at Oklahoma, losing a home to Texas. Uh, and then, I, which I, as I recall, that was the game where we had like six players. <laughs> yeah, that's where we had like game. six players and Shane Southwell was the coach. Yeah, I remember that because everybody after the game was like, Shane Southwell should be the head coach of the Kansas State Wildcats. And I was like, let's get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but let's pump the brakes. I, I get it, but no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we, yeah, we start out Big 12 play 0-4, and then we beat ranked Texas Tech by double figures and go and beat ranked Texas on the road, all to come home and then have KU just take the wind out of our sails completely. And then it was just... The rest of the season was pretty much just like that. Uh, just massive up and downs and swings back and forward and then really ending on a sour stretch where we just couldn't really put it together getting blown out by KU on the road um, a one point loss at home to Iowa State a seven point loss at home to Oklahoma losing on the road in a admittedly controversial game uh, against Texas Tech and then uh, just kind of not having a great performance against West Virginia in the Big 12 tournament. Um it, it, it was a game or it was a it was a season where there was always it felt like there was a lot missing. There were some great pieces on that team, but it was just clearly just not quite there. But sometimes when when the, everything was clicking, it was a solid team uh, at least on the outside, but just po- lack of post presence and consistency was what really killed the cat uh with uh last year's team that pun was not intended i swear but yeah <laughs> but yeah i it's it's everything you said plus there was there were so many times like just like you said there were so many times that we had 
some wind in our sails. Like there was some degree of buy-in. And then the moment they would get anyone to show up, they got students to show up for the Marquette game on a Wednesday. And then they just absolutely blow it at the last second. They got, obviously they got the support for the KU game. Then they eventually had a decent showing for the West Virginia game. And then it, every single time, it fell apart almost immediately. But that's last year. This year is completely different because there's no immediate skepticism from the fan base regarding the head coach specifically. Because if there's one thing that Jerome Tang has done, he has reinvigorated not only K-State basketball's fan base, but K-State fan base in general. Yeah. Um, and on the element of skepticism, the I think the only skepticism about him right now is just a healthy one where it's just we haven't seen anything yet. But I don't think that even then, I don't think there's people thinking like, oh, well, I don't think he'll be that good. Because I think that right now, the the furthest people are getting on Jerome Tang is like, let's wait and see, which is reasonable. Yeah. Um, he's definitely drawn more excitement uh, than any coach I can think of. In oh, yeah. my time at K-State, like not even particularly close, I'd say, because I'm thinking back to hires that K-State's made since I've really been aware of it. And that's uh, Chris Kleiman, uh, Bruce Weber, like Pete Hughes, Jeff Mitty. Um, other than that, there hasn't really been like, major hires that I can think of. Uh, and just so Jerome Tang is obviously... Uh, the uh, the biggest one there. He can't. He's come in and he's uh, completely, as you as you put it, reinvigorated the fan base, and I, I think that's a good word for it because uh, there's more energy in the student section uh, than there was even in, in different sports. Yeah, because uh, he's down there on the sideline, uh, bringing guys to visit and getting the student section into it. Uh, allegedly, ticket sales are up. Gene Taylor was saying something. Like they've sold like 10 or 11,000 season tickets. I will believe it when I see it because yeah. that would be basically all of Bramlage. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's selling out Bramlage. Yeah. Like every and I believe year. capacity is like 11,000 now. It used to be 11,600, but I think they took out about 600 seats with the new Loge boxes they put in, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably a good long-term strategy. It sucks, but I, I get it. Like right. fewer people come to live sports. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the fan base is really excited. The only thing more that they could have done, I think, is get uh, some more like really marquee uh, non-conference matchups, which granted, we got a really good draw with the Big 12 SEC Challenge for once because we're constantly playing like uh, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Uh, we played Georgia like four times in like the 20 teens, it felt like. Uh, Dean Wade had a game winner against them when he was a freshman. That was like <laughs> one of his big moments. Um, but then beyond that, you get uh, Nebraska, the T-Mobile Center. Um, then you get a uh, Wichita State at home. That's actually kind of a decent game. Then Butler on the road in the Big 12 Big East battle. Uh, but beyond that, like even still, like those aren't phenomenal teams. Like Nebraska is like notorious for being the worst like Power Five uh, basketball team. Uh, it was Northwestern for a long time, but I think Nebraska is the only power five or power six, whatever it is for basketball to not win any NCAA tournament game ever. And which is just fascinating because I mean, like it's a lot easier to win an NCAA tournament game than it is like one like a national title in football. Yeah. And so 
it's just it's really interesting that they've like never done that like that's not even hating i'm just like curious because like that's statistically very unlikely that's just very unlikely to happen (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um mario i will say marco born he went on bosco's boys so probably most of you who are listening to this have already heard it uh and he was talking about how they really want to in the future um get a high level opponents to bramlage and he said that, that right now that's the struggle is getting home and homes because a lot of those teams just want to play one-offs or they want to do like at their place in like a neutral game or something like that they said that they want to go out and get like blue blood level programs to come to bramlage uh which i really like that approach i yeah. love that they want to do that like because when i when he said that i immediately was sitting there and trying to think of who it could be i'm trying to like rack my brain i'm like what like arizona like north carolina duke like how high are they shooting here and i i i'm i'm fascinated by that approach and i really appreciate that because the staff that is probably the biggest thing you can say about them is they have done absolutely nothing but aim high mm-hmm. and exceed expectations because yeah. kca fans this is not a shot at the old staff but we did get used to lower expectations uh and recruiting and scheduling and performance and everything and even though they did have success uh it still wasn't like flashy or anything like that and the staff is wanting to be exciting and gritty and they they want to draw people in with that and it's a completely different flavor of basketball than i think we're used to and that is i think what's led to a lot of the excitement which part of that is just like a grass is greener on the other side (laughs) of the fence approach like we're just appreciating something new but it is also inherently exciting thing to want to be a part of because if it, it is one of those things which again looking at it through purple tinted glasses but it does feel like something is being built that could become something really special and if, if everything goes well so i mean there's a ton of asterisks there it's a long way to go i'm not going to make any like <laughs> major future projections tonight we are way too far away because i mean jerome tank's not even coached a game like yeah. they would be unfair to set those expectations immediately from like an outside perspective but that was a lot of rambling to say i'm very excited for the season <laughs> and what it holds especially because we just don't know a lot about most of the roster and if nothing else it's just genuine curiosity about like what these guys are like and who they are yeah which that's a perfect segue thank you connor we're going to it was on purpose (laughs) let's go (laughs) we're professionals we swear uh but we can start off by looking at the roster then we'll go over the schedule and our expectations but Looking at the roster, there are only two returning members from last year's team, which even saying it out loud now, after I've had several months to digest that information, still sounds weird. But the two returning members from last year's squad is Marquise and Noel and Ish Masood. Both had pretty good, like, okay to good years last year. I think Marquise was probably the bigger of the two in terms of impact on the team because you could definitely tell that he was in, you know, that emotional leader. He he kind of was lightning in a bottle, and that's kind of why he was our favorite player last year, just because of how how he was. He'd have some mm-hmm. amazing plays and then, you know, <laughs> literally two very, minutes later <laughs> he was very unusual for a bruce weber point guard because a lot of bruce weber point guards i feel like were kind of unexciting they were traditional they were distributors and they were generally fairly good uh there were we had a lot of point guards i liked in the bruce weber era 
uh, for one reason or another. Although granted Cam Stokes took up like half that time on his own, but um, yeah, he was very, he was a lot more aggressive than a lot of Bruce Weber point guards. He made a lot more mistakes, but made a lot more incredibly uh, flashy plays. So it, and it was kind of a, like an adrenaline shot at times to, to watch him play uh, and just watch him step back and fearlessly take like a 30 foot three. And it actually works sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> which I, if nothing else, I appreciated the, the entertainment value from yeah, that. Cause you and I would look at him was like, why is he doing? Oh, <laughs> It's gonna take yeah. more than that to impress me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he's one of those players that uh uh like uh color analysts love to like stereotype like when they're talking about like gunslinger quarterbacks mm. where they're they ever they all have like the same statement where they're like the coaches like when he throws the ball they're saying oh no but then it like works and they're like oh yes like <laughs> but yeah. Every color commentator has like the same thing about like a moderate risk taker at like mm-hmm. any position. So, <laughs> yeah, that those are the two people returning: Marquise Noel and Ish Masood. Outside of that, it's a completely different roster. We're gonna kind of go through by position here, starting off with the, the five the center. You have, uh, you obviously know more than me on this. Uh, I'll see to you, but I, I'll at least say the names and where they're from so I can contribute something to this episode. <laughs> you are contributing a significant amount here. Thank you. That's the nicest thing someone's ever said to me. The <laughs> first one is center Jarrell Colbert, who's a transfer from LSU. And I remember him specifically because he got buried behind two future NBA guys at LSU. And honestly, that's a shame. That could have happened to anybody. But hey, it's our game now. So, Yeah, Jarrell Kober is an interesting case because he was uh, somebody who came in. Uh, at one point, I believe the story was that he was like a 2022 uh, recruit. Um, but he ended up reclassifying to 2021. I believe in that uh, first class, he was a, uh, a, a five-star five um, because if you go back and look at like his scouting report from January of 2020, his projection is a first round draft pick. And he uh, uh, was uh, um, ultimately a um, LSU uh, signee, but uh, Will Wade uh, was uh, dispatched of, I suppose. <laughs> and then their entire roster was dispatched of in this offseason yeah. for one, one reason or another. But uh, Drew Colbert reclassifies, moves up a year. And gets to LSU early and didn't really get a lot out of it. It seems like uh, he only saw action in four games, averaging 6.8 minutes uh, in those games, uh, shooting 25% from the field, half a point a game, uh, half a steal, 0.8 blocks, uh, 1.3 total rebounds per game, listed at 6'10, 216 on uh, basketball reference. But on K State's roster, he's listed at 6'10, 235. So he has put it. on a ton of muscle since he got here, which would, that would, uh, um, stand true. I, I believe that because uh, um, they they've talked a lot about a, many players putting on a lot of weight. We'll talk about that more as we go. Uh, but Jarrell Colbert, obviously, uh, a highly touted recruit, um, out of high school. Uh, he was one of the first guys, uh, to commit to this staff as well. Um, uh, a long time. Uh, I say a long time ago. It was like April. But yeah. <laughs> feels so long ago though i know i know like like sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday that all of uh the early drum tang era stuff was happening uh 
Uh, I, I it feels like just yesterday where it was the uh, um like everybody like kind of hitting the panic button because you know it'd been like a month and we had like four players on the roster or something. Yeah. One of them was Logan Landers, and like everybody like had no idea what to expect. But yeah, Jarrell Colbert really didn't play a whole lot. He only scored two points in the entire season, uh, and it was his first outing uh, against uh, Louisiana Monroe in a one hundred and one to thirty nine. Uh, for LSU, <laughs> that's not relevant at all to this wider discussion. It it's just simply a fact, and I thought it was interesting, and you all deserve to hear. If I had to see it, you do too. But um, another more interesting note, honestly, like like that is actually interesting. In his four outings, uh, and three of them he had a block, um, only one turnover, and all of that. Again, really overanalyzing a super small sample size here with Jarrell Colbert. A lot of what we're going with here is promise um, and potential. And so I, I'm going to believe in that, but he's also probably somebody that's developmental. This year, I it is my hope that we blow out a lot of non-conference teams that get him some development time on the floor. Yeah. Um, but I'd imagine conference play, he's somebody that's going to play like five to 10 minutes a game probably. And I have no issue with that whatsoever because he's a sophomore and he reclassified and based on what he did last year at LSU, which granted he was playing behind two future NBA guys, maybe shouldn't have, maybe should have taken that extra year development. But I I mean, like that's in the past. doesn't really matter. But again, only played four games last year. There's just not enough of a sample there other than we do know that he was a highly, highly, highly touted recruit. So obviously a ton of potential here with Jarrell Colbert, but he's somebody that I think we're going to have to wait to make a verdict on until later. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very encouraging that he has put on uh, so much weight uh, in his um, time because he's listed again on basketball reference as uh, 216 pounds at six foot 10. Uh, and he's again listed at 235 on the roster. So about 20 pounds of uh, based on the other players progress, definitely muscle. So, Jarrell Colbert, um, a name that I think is more relevant for the future than this year. Yeah. Then the other five is Abayami Ijiola, which, you know. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, good uh, job. Everyone just calls him Bebe, Bebe Ijiola. He's a senior. He transferred from Hofstra, and that's really all I remember about him. He's not one of the, the sagas that I remember more about. Yeah. The inter- Hello, Maple. Uh, the interesting <laughs> thing to me about Abayami uh, Igiola, I, I just wanted to flex that I could pronounce his name, but uh, he uh, starts out at Stetson uh, playing about 20 minutes a game over two seasons there, shooting roughly 50% from the field in that time. Uh, not really three-point shooter, but did uh, looks like make a three at some point uh, at Stetson. Uh, he's he's going to be in his fifth year of college basketball. Granted, one of those was a redshirt season from injury. Uh, he averaged over 10 points a game in those two seasons. Was a very, very good rebounder. Uh, his rebounding rate was outstanding. I will admit, I could not find advanced analytics for this. I would like to have them. I simply could not find them. I know that they exist. I just don't know where. But <laughs> average of 1.2 blocks per game his sophomore year at Stetson. Then he transfers to Arkansas, which the fact that he transferred to Arkansas at all is actually an indicator of how good he is to me, even though he barely played because he registered a year, I believe, because of injury. And then he played in one game in the 2020-2021 season. He played in one game for one minute, and I think he tore his ACL. 
And so he really never played. Uh, effectively, he never played uh, in an Arkansas uniform. And Arkansas has been a really good program the last few years under Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman has been able to bring in basically anybody that he wants on the face of the earth to go play basketball uh, for him. Cool. So I, I, I 100% buy that he is a really good basketball player. And uh, I... I'm very happy with this addition just because of rebounding. This is something I think that's something that the staff has really placed a premium on is uh, for center. They want guys that can rebound uh, re- defensive rebounders uh, that are athletic and can really get up there. Uh, something we haven't seen in a while. Honestly, the last guy to really do that is McCall Maywean, funnily enough, despite how frustrating he was. That was probably like that's probably the best example I can think of for like a true big that can really get up and rebound. Uh, for, for at least from the Bruce Weber era. But last year, his most recent play, uh, seven points a game, seven rebounds a game, three of those offensive rebounds a game, uh, uh, 0.8 steals per game, 0.6 blocks per game, uh, 2.8 fouls per game, shooting uh, 63% uh, from two-point range, 63.2 from uh, the field in general, 76% at the free throw line uh, on 20 minutes a game, uh, all around really, really solid and efficient numbers there. Um, and again, I want to draw attention to also Arkansas because Hofstra actually played Arkansas. That's a very talented team. Uh, this was a game that actually Hofstra won uh, against uh, number 24, Arkansas. He played 29 minutes, had 18 points and 14 rebounds against a very talented Arkansas team. It's so, a revenge game. Yeah, a revenge game for him. Maybe there's bad blood there. I don't know. But mm-hmm. he... Uh, um, yeah, did a uh, did a number on Arkansas in that game. And Arkansas, obviously, is a very, very, very athletic team. Uh, so uh, Abayami, Ijeola, Bebe, uh, Ijeola, uh, probably going to start at the five this year. Um, depends on how much center we're actually going to use, because I think we're going to see a lot of small ball and uh uh, like maybe some Naquan Tomlin playing the five sometimes just to get like a freak athletic group <laughs> out on the floor. But um, Abai Miagiola, he's listed at 6'9", 230 on basketball reference. Uh, uh, he's listed at 6'10", 220 actually. So he has slimmed down a little bit actually since he got to K-State. Uh, the strength coach had like some before and after pictures of him. Uh, and it looked like he had like cut like some bad weight and put on some muscle. So I'm excited to see what he does. Um, I'd imagine he's probably starting uh, as the five this year. I'd be shocked if Drell Colbert is the starter, but I'm looking forward to seeing what a Bayamigiola can do this year. Yeah. Next up is forward David Gasson, who is a Virginia Tech transfer. And this was another one, and it's a theme throughout all of these uh, all these transfers, was this was another one that it was like, okay, this guy's based off of potential, at yeah. least if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. First of all, he's a uh, international player. He's originally from Delir in the Netherlands. Uh, he's six foot nine, two hundred five. Spent a couple years at Virginia Tech. Uh, he's an absolute freak athlete um, for his size because he uh, is listed as a forward, but has pretty good ball handling. Can play the wing, so we could honestly get out there and be a stretch four or the three. Unfortunately, Casey Ezie who has been replaced as our stretch four. <laughs> Unfortunate. Just, it is such a shame. But he, uh, despite never starting at Virginia Tech, played a lot 
uh, 13 and a half minutes a game last year played and I believe all 36 for them. Um, and got 3.7 points per game, uh, 2.7 rebounds per game with half of those being offensive rebounds. Um, and then, um, 0.7 assists per game, 0.6 blocks per game, uh, shooting about 48% from the field, uh, and then 26.7% from three. So three point, uh, not his game, but there was a video posted of him on Instagram. I don't remember who posted it, but it was just showing him doing very athletic things. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this guy is very athletic. And that was one of the statements of all time. And he, uh, so I'm very excited to see what he can do. Um, he'll be in his third year of college basketball uh, in this upcoming season. I think he could be a sleeper to like really make an impact this year because I think he's the sort of player that really fits into uh, what Jerome Tang wants to do where he's an unbelievable athlete, a very long player, like a long lanky player. Like he's like a classic big uh, or classic Baylor bear forward. Uh, like, like Jonathan Shamwa Chachua, like I, I look at David Gasson. I'm like, this guy is like a copy paste of exactly what Scott drew once in like a four. So Which I makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. And <laughs> so I'm excited to see what David Gasson can do. I think he's kind of flying under the radar right now because of guys like Keontae Johnson and uh, Naquan Tomlin, Marquise Noel, uh, which fair, but (laughs) David Gasson, uh, I'm hoping he'll play some quality minutes. I don't expect him to start or anything, but I'd really like it if he could be a spark plug defender uh, and transition guy off the bench and uh, get some scrappy points and get great rebounds for us. Honestly, this will sound funny. I kind of want him to play the Antonio Gordon role on this team where he's just not taking a ton of outside shots, but his role is really to just uh, be very athletic and jump in and just reach over everybody to go in and get rebounds and hopefully be better at offense than Antonio Gordon (laughs) and uh, just find his way to the bucket, get the easy bucket um, and uh, be better ball handling than I think most people would expect. Uh, so I, I like David Gasson. I'm not going to sit here and expect the world from him this year, but uh, he's somebody to keep an eye on, I'd say. Yep. Then next up was probably the biggest transfer, at least the most hyped one. That was Keontae Johnson. And we had an entire 20-minute segment about him on an episode. So we'll we'll try and keep it somewhat short. He... I would say it was based off potential, but he kind of realized that potential at Florida. It was just a medical mishap that caused him to miss some time and then eventually transfer from Florida to here. But yeah, we'll get, we'll keep it somewhat shorter because it was relatively recently. We did like a 20 minute segment on him. Yeah. The, the gist of that segment was pretty much because I remember we really did the long segment uh, on when we weren't sure if he was going to end up here or not. Mm-hmm. And our big thing was if he ended up transferring here and reached uh, roughly the same level that he was at Florida, that takes this team from a bubble team to a surefire NCAA tournament team because mm-hmm. he is that talented. He had an excellent sophomore season at Florida now three years ago. And then he missed most of 2020, 2021 uh with a medical issue and then all of 2021 2022 so keontae johnson he is medically cleared he's ready to go um based off of 
um, tidbits that have kind of been said. He is mainly working on conditioning at this point, which makes sense because he's been out of basketball for like a year and a half to two years at this point, at least at a high competitive level. But I can't find the analytics on him now, but I remember I did find some at the time. And his big thing was that he had a great sophomore year and he actually got better when he was in SEC uh, time, uh, when they were in that uh, conference slate. In 2019, he was playing 31 minutes a game, uh, taking almost 10 shots a game, hitting 54% of them, uh, 60% of his two-point shots, went 38% from three, 76% from the free throw line, seven rebounds per game, 1.6 assists per game, 1.2 steals. 0.3 blocks, 1.7 turnovers, or 14 points per game. And then his first four games in 2020, 2021, he was phenomenal, playing just 20 minutes a game. Granted, some of that was because of his injury, uh, shooting 64% from the field, uh, 42 or 43% from three. I'll give him that roundup. It's 42.9. Uh, 78% from the free throw line, 4.5 rebounds per game, 1.3 steals, or 1.3 assists, one steal, 2.8 turnovers, 16 points per game. So he was having a really great season until it was derailed. Um, his potential is sky high. He was, I believe, the preseason SEC player of the year uh, for 2020, 2021. And he was honestly probably going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. Uh, he has such a high ceiling. He raises this K-State team's ceiling dramatically as well. I am really looking forward to seeing what he can do because he is the key to this team uh, really reaching their full potential and becoming this athletic monster that I think they have the possibility of doing. Uh, but I, Keontae Johnson obviously is incredible. Uh, yeah. he, he will start. He will be a starter on this team period. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he And he could probably play realistically. I mean, he's a natural three, um, but he could, he could play the four. He could play the two uh, and he could, probably handle the ball a little bit that's probably not his forte he's not a distributor by trade but he is athletic enough to kind of do whatever he wants so <laughs> but other than play the five he's just not tall enough for that but i i really like uh keontae johnson i mean which who doesn't but I, i'm looking forward to seeing what he does <laughs> yeah i mean kind of gloss over taj manning manning because he's going to be a freshman this year probably doesn't contribute too too much then ish masood who's here last year so skipping ahead to Someone who apparently has been the the rumor is is that we just got done talking about Keontae Johnson, who had the potential to be a lottery draft pick in the NBA, and yet we haven't talked about the person with the most potential on the team yet. Naquan <laughs> yeah. Tom. Tomlin. Yeah, he uh, he is the one that if you put your ear to the ground and listen for the tremors around the Ice Family basketball facility. Naquan Tomlin's probably the one that you're going to hear the most. Uh, in his time at K-State, he had, I think he arrived at about 190. He's already 210. Uh, 6 foot 10, 210. There's a highlight of him from the Southern Illinois, air quotes, secret scrimmage, like, um, and where he he is 6 foot 10, 210 pounds, and he takes the ball from the wing uh, and drives it as if he were a guard like and goes from like driving and crossing this guy up with incredible ball handling uh, to going straight into a post up uh, and then putting on some post moves. He is an incredibly versatile player with elite level athleticism. He can do almost whatever he wants in the paint uh, in terms of moving around. He has very long arms, uh, an unbelievable athlete, uh, like NBA level athlete. 
Uh, I don't say that lightly. He um, can step out and take the three as well. Uh, and is a really great and tenacious defender as well. He spent the last two years at uh, Chipola uh, Community College in Florida, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, was uh, really, really good. Um, I cannot find his point. There they are. Uh, 13.77 points per game last year as a sophomore. And it is worth noting that he is in like his third or fourth year of competitive basketball in his life because if he had been playing it his whole life he would not be here because he'd be in the nba and yeah because he is that good uh he's uh, shot 52 percent from the field last year 25.8 percent from the three-point line 70 percent the free throw line 5.8 rebounds per game 1.3 assists uh 1.87 turnovers most of what Namquan Tomlin has to do is learn the game but he is a natural athlete. He is going to his. He is the X factor on this team. I think to Keontae Johnson's uh, key, because Keontae Johnson is the key. Naquan Tomlin is the X factor, in that he is another guy that if he raise if he reaches a full potential, this team becomes really good really fast. Yeah. Uh, because if you have Keontae Johnson, Naquan Tomlin coming at you, you're going to struggle. And I I. Very excited to see what kind of plays we install for Naquan Tomlin, what role we use him in, because he naturally can play the two through the five, I think, with his skill set, because he actually has a really natural looking shot. His best position is the four, but he could play the three pretty well, although that's Keontae Johnson, probably. Uh, He could play the five in a pinch. Uh, He can play the two and truly if we just felt like it we could have him play the one and bring the ball up if we felt like it there's no reason to do such a thing but if we wanted to we could so but i am very excited to see what keontae johnson does this year my expectations for him have only been growing which is dangerous because of how little experience he has he has but there's a lot of excitement building around him and i am simply giving into it so i i really want to see what naquan tomlin can do this year because he is I think Jerome Tang said it. He could potentially be Big 12 new, newcomer of the year uh, this year. And if things go according to plan, he might not be here next year because he might be in the NBA. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens with him. But expectations are very, very, very high, I think, for Naquan Tomlin. Next up, we've already talked about Marquise Noel. Next up is Tyke Green, so a transfer from Stony Brook. So, you know, a transfer up from a lower level, but you know, still someone who has a pretty good chance of contributing here. Yeah, um, he's been a uh, this is his fifth year. So his last year for Tyke for Tyke Green. Uh, one thing that was mentioned about him at one point is that he's built like a linebacker. And then I saw a picture of him and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's a linebacker. And, yeah, he, he is a linebacker. Uh, he started out at Manhattan, uh, which fun fact, Manhattan just fired their basketball coach two weeks before the season started. And I think their entire team is transferred or something like that. Yep. But he, uh, um, so he started at Manhattan, played two years there, played the last few years at Stony Brook. His minutes per game have gone up every single year. Last, I'll go with uh, the two most recent years at Stony Brook for the frame of reference here. Uh, 30 minutes and then 31 minutes per game, 43 feel, 43% from the field, and then bump that up last year to 52%. Uh, and then three-point percentage, you see a drastic change. Uh, 30% uh, as a junior, last year as a senior, 42.5, uh, 42.6. I'd say neither of those numbers are realistic, 
uh, I would hope for him to shoot into the like mid thirties this year, I think is what realistically we should hope for. Uh, then 54% from the free throw line as a junior 64% last year, last year, he really just went off. Uh, then went from 6.9 rebounds to 8.1 rebounds, 0.8 assists to 1.1 doubled his steals per game from 0.7 to 1.4 doubled his blocks from 0.2 to 0.4. Uh, and then increases point output from nine point set from nine point seven to fourteen points per game. So Tyke Green, he's kind of another guy's flying under the radar, but he really took a massive step last year as a basketball player, and only had to add half a minute a game to do it. And he uh, clearly got a bigger role at Stony Brook and had a really good season. So Tyke Green is probably someone to keep an eye on to again have maybe an underrated impact. Uh, there's one downside about bringing all these guys is you have to replace them all next year, uh, these yeah. like grad transfers and stuff. But the good thing is that you have an unusual amount of experience for a team with a lot of transfers in a first-year coach because, I mean, a lot of these guys are four-year transfers or uh, JUCO guys. Like They're guys that are used to playing a lot. There's a few younger Power 5 transfers that don't play much, but they're supplementary as opposed to uh, the main pieces. But Hikey Green is someone that's another guy that's kind of flying under the radar right now. That keep an eye on him. Yeah. The next up is Cam Carter, who I remember distinctly because Mississippi State fans were upset for two reasons. That's where he transferred from. They're upset because he transferred at all, and they were upset with the coaching staff because they never used him. And I took that as a very, very good sign at the time. That's Cam Carter, if I haven't already said his name. But yeah, it. I felt pretty good whenever, you know, it's always a good feeling whenever someone transfers to your program and you get to deal with salt from the opposing fan base, not because he was bad, but because he was good. Yeah. Cam Carter, uh, man, like you said, he didn't really get as much playing time as I think people wanted him to. Uh, He came in to Mississippi State as a four-star recruit out of high school. He's a true freshman last year, uh, 115 nationally on 24-7. Uh, and went to Oak Hill Academy, so pretty solid, uh, uh, prep school there. Um, but Cam Carter, he comes in, plays in 27 games, but only gets four starts and he gets eight, only eight and a half minutes a game, uh, shooting just under 40% from the field, uh, 30% from three, 45% from two, uh, 68%, uh, from the free throw line, 2.2 points a game, 0.8 rebounds, 0.9 assists, 0.4 steals, 0.7 turnovers. Um, the big thing with him, uh, from what I could tell, is that people felt that he, again, I haven't seen a ton of film on him, but he's a very athletic and bursty guard that plays better defense than I think that you would expect. And he did have a few opportunities to get a lot of playing time. Uh, his best opportunity came against Alabama, where he played the most minutes he had all season uh, with 28. Uh, he went 4-12 from the field, 3-6 from three, made all four of his free throws for 15 points. Uh, and then add in uh, three assists, two rebounds. Uh, he did have four fouls, but again, that's the most he played all year, so I'm not too concerned about that. He had added a steal as well, and then those, those 15 points. So Cam Carter, highly regarded recruit, just didn't play a lot. Mississippi State seemed to have a lot of turmoil last year. It's kind of the rumblings that have always been going around. So Cam Carter, uh, somebody to keep an eye on uh, that could maybe have an unexpected impact. So I... I, I will definitely be uh, keeping tabs on him over this year. Again, we don't know a ton about him right now just because he didn't play a lot last year. Um, but 
or at least like substantial uh playing time uh but i i really do like him uh from from what little we do know and i'm i'm excited to see what he can do here at k state and uh, let's see is he somebody that's like added a lot of weight again uh he's out a little bit uh, basketball reference has him at 185. He's been on five pounds since he got here to 190 at six foot three. Yeah. <clears throat> Next up is Anthony Thomas, who we kind of projected. He was a JUCO transfer from Tallahassee Community College. We kind of projected him as, you know, the guy that was, you know, solid, solid depth, basically, was going to be his role, was going to be a depth player. Yeah, pretty much. Um, he... Um, as a transfer in from uh, Tallahassee College, although he did play his freshman year at UT Martin. Uh, and as a true freshman, they averaged nine points a game and 2.8 rebounds, played in 22 of 24 games with four starts. Uh, so he uh, uh, um, really did have a good uh, freshman year uh, there. He was 37% from the field, 30% from three. Uh, was 75% at the free throw line um, and was definitely the best freshman on the team. Uh, led the team in scoring on four occasions. Um, he he did a really good job there, but he ended up transferring after the year to Tallahassee College where he averaged 11 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, and then 1.2 uh, assists per game, uh, shooting 42, 42.3% from the field, 346 from three and then definitely dropped off at the free throw line, 55.3%. Uh, then added uh, 1.2 steals per game to that. He uh, is a really interesting player because he's 6'7", 190, and listed as a guard, uh, which is fascinating because he's yeah. super, he's super tall and uh, kind of plays like the three, which is really interesting because uh, he uh, is basically, he, he pretty much is a tall guard. Uh, he's not a forward, like posting up is not his game. Uh, he has a decent shot. Uh, from the outside, and he, uh, I, I do really like his ability to drive. That's something that's really impressive from him. But again, he's probably a developmental guy that they're bringing in. Uh, I, I want to see his defense grow as well. Uh, six, seven, very long arms. He's Im- impressive from an, a physical and athletic perspective, um, but definitely want to see more from him. Uh, but again, probably not going to have a huge factor this year. He'll be ahead of Dorian Finister and Taj Manning, who are the true freshmen, I would imagine that they, that they will be redshirting, uh, which yeah. is a great position to be in as a basketball team. But Anthony Thomas will probably be the last guy off the bench, honestly, uh, other than the walk-ons. So I, uh, I, I'm i I'm not expecting a ton from him this year, but he's somebody that could be something is the best way to put it, I think, right now. Yeah. And the last player that we're really going to cover in depth is someone who has quite the odyssey in getting to K-State. <laughs> Because uh, he's gotten a little bit close from and that's the guard from Arkansas State, Desi Sills. And, you know, I, he got here either way. So I feel fine kind of saying is like it was a little bit of a sweaty getting him here, but he's here now. And that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Desi Sills um, committed a while ago, it took him a while to get to campus, but he is here. So who cares? Spent the first three years of his career at Arkansas, then transferred to Arkansas State. Um, as a sophomore at Arkansas, he averaged double figures at 10.6 points per game, shooting 42% from the field, 33% from three, 53% from two, uh, three rebounds a game, 
uh, 1.2 assists, 0.9 steals, 10.6 points per game. And then last year at Arkansas State, uh, kind of interesting stat line, uh, shooting really well from two, 55%, but not so well from three, a lot lower than his career average, 25%. That kind of, to me, indicates that's an anomaly, kind of the opposite of Tyke Green, who did way better than his um, career average last year. So I'd met both of those guys. I would just hope that they end up in the mid 30s is kind of my goal for them. Uh, not that they care, but 72 points or 72.7% from the free throw line last year, 3.6 uh, rebounds per game, 2.8 assists, 1.8 steals, 2.5 turnovers and 12.6 points per game at Arkansas state. He's somebody that I think we want to come in and be an experienced presence on the outside. He's listed at six one two Oh two on uh basketball reference. Um, and he's listed at, apparently grew an inch six to 200 pounds on our official roster. Good for you hitting your late growth spurt, Bessie. Uh, I'm not really sure what to expect from him positionally. He might be a two, although honestly, he could maybe rotate a little bit of one. But again, I've only seen a bit of film on him. I think they had him playing the one a little bit last year at Arkansas State, but I think he'll primarily be a two guard maybe. Um, I want to see really good defense from him, I think is primarily what I want. And I think Jerome Tang wants from our our backcourt. So... Um, like Marquise Noel and Desi Sills, um, and uh, like Tyke Green and Cam Carter. I think he wants all those guys to be tenacious defenders first and foremost, especially Marquise Noel, uh, the um, ball hawk that he is. Um, but Desi Sills, uh, I'm I think he'll he'll probably have a slow start given how late he got to campus. I mean, he literally got here what like two weeks ago, and <laughs> we have our first exhibition in like four days. So my my expectations for him will be low, but not because I don't think he's a good player, but because I think we'll probably need a little bit of time to integrate and get prepared. I say that he'll drop 50 on Washburn now. Could happen <laughs> to anybody, but really could But I, I'm very, I'm very intrigued by Desi Sills because he's another guy like he falls in the Tyke Green vein of guys who I think fly under the radar as experienced guard transfers from a lower level that. Um, do have intriguing experience and could probably find a really solid role on this team. Yeah. So that's the roster pretty much. And that was, that was a bit, so we'll probably put in timestamps for, cause this will be a longer episode. I'll put in timestamps uh, for, you know, skipping ahead to certain places if you'd like. And uh, if I forget, please be sure to at me on Twitter at AC Edward zero zero to yell at me. And uh, that'll convince me to do it. I, it sounds like I'm joking. I'm not joking. But- I don't know. <laughs> I won't yell at you, Ace. Thank you, Connor. But now we can talk about the schedule, and we'll try to spend a little bit less time here. But you open with an exhibition against Washburn. In fact, here, here's how we'll do this. We'll kind of combine this here. I'll say the games in order, then you just say W or L, and then maybe like a sentence Y. Sound good? Knowing two birds, one stone? Fair enough. All right. So Washburn. <laughs> Um, hardly counts because it's an exhibition, but if it's not a W, I will be very concerned. Okay. Then the first actual game of the year is University of Texas Rio Grande Valley in Manhattan. There's um, a doubleheader with with uh, the women's basketball team. Mm-hmm. I'll call it a dub uh, if you want an actual reason. I think there will be a lot of energy uh, with it being the first game of the Tang era. So I, I got a W there. Yeah. Next up is Cal in Berkeley, California, the uh, November 11th. That's a Friday on the Pac-12 network. Um, I think that's I the first s- true test. 
Yes. Um, vaguely speaking, um, yeah. Cal was just picked uh, second to last in the Pac-12 preseason poll in what is already a, I'll say, a bad basketball conference. Yeah. So we should not lose to Cal is how I will say it. Um, I, I, I will say dub. Okay, I'll agree. Uh, UMKC in Bramlage, November 17th. That's another doubleheader with the women's basketball team. Um, I will say a dub there as well. Um, Loki thought Bruce Weber would end up there um, as <laughs> the coach. kind of did, yeah. No, um, but that just kind of didn't materialize. So, yeah, W. Yep. Ro- the Cayman Islands Classic starting on November 21st on Flow Hoops. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Rhode Island. Uh, w. Which, to be fair to Rhode Island, I did they make the I think they made the tournament last year? last year, yes. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm pretty sure they made the tournament and uh were kind of a bit of a Cinderella, but like didn't really um go super far. Here, I'm gonna check their schedule really quick. I know this is taking more time than you want, but <laughs> it's all good. Hey, we're we're here for a long time and a good time. They the Alley Cats. did not. I think we're maybe thinking of like what oh the uh, the blue hens. St. Paul. It was St. Something or other. Uh, was... Rhode Island. Rhode Island did not make the tournament last year. It was the blue hens. St. Peter's. St. Peter's. See, yeah. St. Peter's or St. Paul because they knocked off Kentucky. They did. I think it was St. Peter's. Who's to say? But Rhode or. Island is a dub. Rhode Island is a dub. And I then think. Nevada or Tulane. Uh, that's another one that should be a dub. All things considered. Which and then the last one's a TBD, but we're playing either Illinois State, LSU, Akron, or Western Kentucky. So we're playing LSU. Um, that'll be an interesting game because LSU is kind of in a similar spot as us. Um, and that starting they've from got zero. Yeah, starting from effectively more from zero than we are actually because they <laughs> yeah. lost literally everybody. Um, they made an interesting hire because they got the head coach of Murray State, I believe, is who they got, and that was a interesting hire because I don't know how effective that is because Murray State's been kind of sufficient uh, between coaches. So I'm not sure how much of that is coaching and how much of it is actually him. Um, I, I will say a dub over presumptively LSU, um, okay. but it remains to be seen, I I suppose, because a lot of that depends on does LSU get it together. Okay. So you have uh, you have us going six straight to begin the year, huh? I will be concerned if we drop any of these games at the time, with the exception of if we play LSU, that wouldn't bother me. Okay. We should Next, at least start five and now. Yeah, at least. Mm-hmm. Next up is the big 12 big East battle, which is up against Butler in historic Hinkle field house. This one I think is it, it you know, obviously we're going to play LSU probably that this is what I think most people could consider a, a big, bigger game. Yeah, um, there's implications going back to the Elite Eight run with Butler where we play that double overtime game against Xavier and the players insist that if they had not had to play the double OT game, they'd beat Butler and go to the final four. So there's bad blood there between the fan base and Butler. Butler has regressed significantly since their all-world coach Brad Stevens went to the Celtics and was Brad Stevens and good. Uh, so, and also since they haven't had literal NBA talent on their team, a la Gordon Hayward, uh, crazy how that happens. 
but uh yeah they went 14 and 19 last year um i don't have super high expectations for them this year so i tentatively will ride in a dub for this game okay you and i have so far matched on everything good fantastic fantastic we're a hive mind next up is wichita state december 3rd in bramlage coliseum i have us winning this yeah i i do as well um i don't know how much of that is homerism but um i mean we beat them last year in a more difficult environment with a less talented team yeah uh which i think is a a fair starting perspective for the game uh but i i will tentatively at least say a w here um but uh they they were okay last year um so i'll start with a dub here especially because i think this is going to be a really good atmosphere for a game uh if finals weren't literally happening like two days later for me i would consider going to this game uh but i will be dying on the inside instead while this game is happening so while you're enjoying the wichita state game please keep me in your in your thoughts because i will not be having a good time so i, I will uh, and i'm assuming that abilene christian and incarnate word you're both going to chalk up as dubs I don't know. Incarnate Word's pretty good. Yes, they're W's. Okay. Uh, so that's actually, uh, I think, an 11 and 0 start. I mean, wait, let's go back. One, Ten. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes. Oh, I guess I was counting Nebraska, which Nebraska is not that good. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to shock Grant, that one up as a dub. Granted, a lot of this, I think, is the non conference schedule not being not good. This not is good. not, this is not a strong non con. I think if we get out of it with like one to two losses realistically, then that's fine. But anything more than that is actively concerning because this is not a strong non-conference. Like Nebraska is like not a slouch, but they're the worst uh, in power five fairly consistently, uh, at least in terms of uh, postseason success. Uh, Wichita State is okay. Butler's not great. LSU will probably find a way to be all right. Cal's not very good. And then the rest of it is games that we should win. So, and then chalk up Radford for a dub as well yeah. uh, to get us to the end of non-con. Sorry to skip that. But no, you're good. Unless you have any strong thoughts on our game against Radford, the doubleheader against, uh, or the doubleheader, doubleheader with women's basketball. Uh, I, I will take it. You probably think we're winning that game too. And we'll actually, we'll pause there. So we have us going through perfect through non-con and, We'll wait to give our conference projections until after the non-con so we can reassess our, because at that point, I feel like that's even more projection than usual outside of our non-con. So we have a perfect non-con projection. I will do you, what do you think about the uh, Florida game? Do you want to wait until conference play to do the Florida game? Or do you want to do that? Let's wait. Yeah. Cause that's like a consistency. Yeah. That, that's sandwiched in the middle of conference play. Uh, so I'm fine with waiting for that because it's, it's just a, it's at the same time as conference play so yeah but yeah um definitely i there's i'm looking at our non-conference schedule and unless one of these teams really comes out of nowhere and is surprising we should win all of these games um anything more than like one or two losses or one loss to a bad team i will be actively concerned yeah i agree so with that little non-con bit out of the way, it, it raises the question of what are our what do you what is your expectation for for this season? Because um, personally, I, I I guess I'll sorry to cut you off there. I, I guess I'll kind of go first. Is I 
my expectation is at least an NCAA tournament berth. That is my expectation. And I think that because this ta- this roster has enough talent to definitely be a a team that not only makes a tournament, that can make noise in the tournament as well. To me, it all comes down to how does how does the coaching staff handle its first year of coaching? Yeah, um, I'm in the same boat. Pre Keontae Johnson, I felt like this was a bubble team. I felt like that was realistic. Keontae Johnson, this has has me thinking that this could be or should be a tournament team. The talent is absolutely there, and I think you put it well. Uh, depends on how many growing pains there are with uh, getting the team to communicate uh, effectively. Because I mean. Uh, well, like 13 of the 15 guys, including walk-ons on the roster, have never played on the court at the same time, uh, like during a regulation basketball game. So um, there will probably be growing pains there. The staff working out uh, some uh, wrinkles with their communication, their planning, and how they handle in-game stuff. Uh, that'll be important as well. Jerome Tang, first-time head coach, uh, the college level. Um, again, we love him. Uh, we're very excited for the season. But again, this is his first time doing this. So we don't truly know what to expect from on the floor products. I was not like a doubt or heresy or whatever, <laughs> but I, uh, like, like it's just a, a statement of facts. We don't know what to expect from him yet. So, um, I I'm interested to see, and I'm excited to see, uh, I'm really looking forward to that exhibition game against Washburn, but, uh, we will see. Um, but I do expect this team to, um, get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, that's definitely ambitious for a team that was picked last in the Big 12. But again, I can't blame people for picking us last in the Big 12 because no. we finished what, like second or third to last in the Big 12 last year and uh, took an early exit from the conference tournament and uh, really collapsed at the end of the year, lost almost everybody. And we have a big group of guys that haven't really played much. And like Naquan Tomlin, we love him, but nobody else in the big 12 really seems to know about him. Mm-hmm. Keontae Johnson is this big question mark. And all you have back is Marquise Noel and Ishma Sood. So it's hard to blame people for picking K-State last. Uh, and I get why people like from other fan bases probably look at our prediction of them going to the big 12 turn or going to the March madness as kind of weird or crazy. But, you know, from our perspective, we've heard so much positive about this team that it kind of it's almost like a no brainer at this point for us. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And expectations are a dangerous thing, but nevertheless, we have them. And I truly do believe in this staff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the that's the men's basketball preview. And so we're just going to dive straight into the next bit of news. So. If you jumped ahead to the non-rev soccer news, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hope you enjoyed the timestamp. But we can go ahead and talk about soccer. And there's only there are two matches, and it's the wrap-up to Big 12 play. The first match was a draw in the Sunflower Showdown up against KU. KU entered this match with a 6-8 and two record with a 2-4-1 record in Big 12 play. As I said, we draw. Each squad gets one goal in the half. So K-State gets one in the first half. KU gets theirs in the second. Uh, The goals were scored in the 22nd minute by Kaylee Thornhill and then in the 51st minute by Leah Bayer for KU. And yeah, this was a draw was frankly all we really needed. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was important to just get a result uh, in this game. Uh, and if you look at the stats, uh, KU did really kind of dominate this game. They had 21 shots to our five, seven shots on target to our two, uh, 11 corner kicks to our one, and we outfouled by six, 14 to eight. Um, yeah, then we get that goal early in the 22nd minute. KU scores in the 51st minute, uh, and that's probably really anxiety-inducing at that point because you're like, wow, they already equalized. It would not be too hard for them to come in and just add to that. Two yellow cards were given out in between the 73rd and 82nd minute to K-State's Riley Baker and Avery Smith of KU, respectively. But K-State ends up getting the win, and this one a huge, or a tie, I should say, a huge win draw why do i keep saying win and it's uh that's exactly what the doctor ordered for uh the um k-state soccer team um and a, a two four and two in big 12 play after this six eight and three uh overall and that brings in the uh unless you have anything additional to yeah. add about this game ace i don't yeah that that brings up the um pivotal um final match of the year uh, for a regular season against West Virginia. Yep. So this one was unfortunately a loss for the Kansas State Wildcats. They didn't score a goal. West Virginia scored theirs in the second half, specifically in the 74th minute. And this was another game where, you know, it, it wasn't pure domination being fair, but it, it's a loss is a loss. Yeah. I was able to watch the first half and it was honestly a fairly even match in the first half. I'd say Um, there were some big breaks and chances for West Virginia, specifically a breakaway where they kind of chipped our back line and had a runaway, but a great, great play by Wehrmeyer saved a almost surefire goal. Casey had a few really great opportunities as well that he just weren't able to convert on West Virginia gets a goal in the 74th minute. Julianne Valorand uh, rolls off the tongue. Uh, yeah, from consisted by almost Jordana Brewster and Jordan Brewster. And, <laughs> uh, uh, then uh, one yellow card in the 73rd minute to Case H. Jasmine Brown, who was really playing quite well from what I saw. Um, other players for K-State that uh, kind of stood out to me, uh, Bailey Nemechek uh, and then uh, Kaliana Garrett uh, in her short amount of time. Those two players, uh, or those three, uh, really looked really good. I thought for K State, West Virginia slightly outshoots, uh, eleven to seven, and then four to one for on goal corner kicks was just two to one in favor of West Virginia. Fouls were dead even at seven apiece. Uh, so again, this was a fairly even match. Um, K State sadly does not get the victory on the road. They play well. This was a match where if they had won or drawn, they would have clinched a spot in the Big Twelve tournament, but they did not do that and so their destiny lay in the hands of others uh so the the pressure was really on uh after this match uh to see the results of other games yeah but luckily for the kansas state wildcats the Oklahoma state cowgirls pulled through baby we're going to the big 12 tournament for the first time in soccer cats history your kansas state wildcats are advancing to the big 12 tournament which we said that was our goal from the beginning of the year so it almost doesn't matter that we're inevitably going to get smoked by texas (laughs) yeah and you know ace and i especially me 
Uh, we we've melted down at times on the show about how it felt like there were times this year where they weren't really making a lot of progress and other times where they were. And there was just this serious lack of consistency. Um, and they uh, they finally, finally, finally make it into the Bay 12 tournament again. You immediately have to play Texas, which it's so tough. Uh, that, that's our reward for finally making it to the Big 12 tournament. But uh, it's regardless, this is the step that we were waiting to see. I think that was the goal for this year going for the for the soccer team going into the year. I have at least from our perspective was make it to postseason in some fashion. Yeah, uh, we weren't sitting here like make the install boy tournament or anything like that. But <laughs> we just wanted them to do something past the regular season. And they are finally going to get to the Big 12 tournament and they're going to face Texas. And I, I'm I'm very happy about that. Uh, there were frustrating results at times this year. They were there were surprising results in our favor at times this year. Yeah. And it's kind of all balanced out to finally get us to postseason to face number 17 Texas and number one in the Big 12. Um, stumbled a little bit in those final uh, two matches. Probably I had a shot to beat KU, but couldn't hold on. Uh, probably should have at least drawn with West Virginia, but weren't quite able to hold on. And again, they had that big win against Oklahoma, huge win on the road against Baylor. Uh, so again, it's been up and down, head scratching results at times. Uh, other times, really nice results. But if nothing else, uh, down the stretch, they played more cohesively. If they did still make some head scratching mistakes at times uh, and frustrating mistakes at other times, they did at least finally make it to postseason play. And that is what we wanted, which is progress. That yeah. is what we wanted. And they have made progress, no doubt about it. And that's all we ever wanted. That's all we ever asked for from the Dabini Cats. So uh, as I mentioned, they are playing They are playing Texas in the, for the opening round of the Big 12 tournament. So um, like I said, I, I don't have expectations for that. But at least we made it. We made progress. We made tangible progress. That we did. That is all that we wanted. Uh, and it's something to build on, at least. Uh, and a lot of the talent on this team is young, uh, which is encouraging. Uh, Jasmine Brown is a true freshman, I believe. And she has been, I think, starting most of the year. And I, I think she's going to be really, really good on the defensive back line for a long time to come. Uh, uh, Kaylee Thornhill really ended the year, uh, fairly strong. I thought, um, and she is at least not a senior. I don't think, um, she totally might be, and I could be completely wrong, uh, <laughs> which would be an absolute shame. Um, happen to anybody. she's a junior, so, okay. <laughs> but, uh, and then Kaliana Garrett, I've liked, uh, and there's been, uh, other bits and pieces where I I've liked player. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see the team grow uh, and, and take this next step in their development. Yeah. So congratulations to them. The next up is the Volleyball Cats or the Volley Cats. They only had one match. It was up against number 14, Baylor. This was a 1-2-3 loss. K-State took the first set 30-28 to and then lost the consecutive, the next sets 29-27, to 25-23, and then 25-23. This match was weird. This match was really, really weird because it was like a microcosm. Well, first off, the first two sets seemed like they never ended at all, ever. They were such long sets, but it, this game was kind of, match was kind of like the microcosm of the season. 
where we had no consistency. <laughs> like we could have beat Baylor if we just stayed consistent and didn't pick the absolute worst times to just keel over. Yeah, uh, exactly right. Uh, the way that we've kind of put it is this team is kind of anti-clutch. Yeah. Uh, which is, it, it's been very consistent and they've, because they've found themselves in advantageous situations and it just seems like they haven't been able to convert and stay in front of that. There's been a few exceptions, but for the most part, it's really been a struggle to do things like hold a lead uh, and even the times find a lead. Uh, but there were still some good individual performances in this game. Lauren Hinkle had 50 sets and eight digs. Uh, so really nice day for her. She also added a kill. Sydney Bolding was 7-14 to 14, uh, in the attack department. Uh, had um, uh, nine blocks uh, total in the game. Had five digs as well. She had a really great game. Elena Baca had 47 attack attempts, 20 kills, and six errors to go with 13 digs. A uh, really good day. Uh, not in department four did have four receiving errors, which is a little rough. Um, as a team had five aces and eight errors, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, Mackenzie Morris had 18 uh, digs and four sets and two receiving errors as well. Um, otherwise, uh, Haley Warner had a really nice day, eight, uh, eight kills on 20 attack attempts and three errors with five blocks. Um, then, um, Katie Fernholz, 18 attack attempts, five kills, three errors. Um, Aaliyah Carter, 31 attack attempts, nine kills, seven errors. That's not a great hitting percentage. Then Shaylee Myers, 26 attack attempts, 10 kills, three errors, an ace, and an error with two digs and a couple of receiving errors. Uh, so there was some solid offense, honestly, from uh, the Cats, but they um, ultimately just, again, defensively didn't have the greatest day. Uh, Mallory Talbert Baylor hitting 524 on the day. Elise McGee hitting 325 on 40 attempts. Uh, just it feels like defense has been one of the big issues this year. That and a lot of receiving errors. It feels like um, uh, just the p- defensive positioning. Um, am I completely untrained and a uh, lay person? I that's what, kind of what it seems like to me. What do I know? But uh, it. It's definitely been a frustrating year for the volleyball team, a team that obviously has a lot of talent uh, and should be doing better than they are. And I think that they feel probably the same, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, so I won't I won't harp on it too much because we we have done it before. Um, yeah. But I'm hoping for for more from the volleyball team upcoming. Uh, they'll have a big opportunity uh, tomorrow or day day of if you're listening to this on day of release. Well, it's about to be tomorrow in like eight minutes. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we just really minuted this episode, didn't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. We didn't date it. We minuted it. Oh, yeah. We have minuted this uh, this episode. We're going to be pushing it to see if it becomes the next day by the time we're done. I'll let you know. Yeah. No, it's going to be the next day. But <laughs> the next matchup is today. <laughs> yeah. Up against number two, Texas. I have no expectations. Yeah. Um, I don't really either. I would like to see if we could, let's get a set. Uh, I think that that's a, a reasonable ish expectation. I'd like to see us get one set or at least push for a set. Texas is incredible. They're number two in the country. Um, so I'm not going to set the bar super high for them. Uh, but I would really like to see us put up a big fight against Texas at the very least. Don't go down easy. Um, but we'll see. 
Um, I'm not really sure what to expect. Uh, maybe we have like an ace up our sleeve that uh, we can deploy for this game to, if we have any chance of getting the NCAA tournament, uh, feels like we really need to win this. Um, either that or after this match, we need to win out. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, theoretically, if we were to win out, that would mean we beat, hang on. That would mean we, after Texas, we beat KU, Iowa State, West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas Tech, and Baylor. That's that's tough, especially that last Baylor matchup being in Waco. But everything else is doable. Yeah, we could beat Iowa State, I think. Oh, we've already beat OU, so theoretically we should be able to get them again. KU will be tough because we already blew a game against them at home. Mm-hmm. Um, West Virginia is a home match. We got them at home. Uh, we got them away already. TCU, I think we beat them. Maybe. I, I don't uh, know if we... No, we choked it because it was a reverse sweep. Oh, against, uh, that's it was right. The second time we gave up a reverse sweep at home. That's right. I, I was I was going to say we either beat them barely or we choked away a match. I couldn't remember exactly. Uh, it was a choke. Uh, that's a shame. But it's like it happen to anybody. But it feels like it happens. Yeah, to us I feel I feel like it happens to us a lot more than it should. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, that pretty much wa- wraps waps. That pretty much wraps <laughs> up the 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 recap segment. Now we can go into the wacky segment of the week. And this week's question is: If you could have any K State team play one game in any given place, where would you have that team play? I have a bit of a joke answer. Um, I want the baseball team to play at the Sandlot. Um, okay. Like, I, I'll no that that's a good answer. It's a very good right, answer, actually. Like, you can you can you can say something else, but um beyond that, um I'm trying to think about like uh great places to play or like a place with a really good view that like we wouldn't normally play, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um like maybe a football game at that stadium in Monterey, Mexico, where you can see like the mountains in the background. Uh the uh I think it's the Estadio Azteca. I think you're right. Um that, that has like a gorgeous view uh at that stadium. So that that would be uh a place. I mean granted like that'd be a really annoying to play a college football game in Mexico, I feel like. Would it be uh, any more annoying than playing it in Japan in the eighties? 90s the 90s 90s <laughs> sorry i watched a video about us trying to play it in the 80s and that's why they say in japan i've <laughs> been meaning to watch that like the video were about how we have like bizarre beef with someone like it's i have a very that good video i have that in my watch later right now and i'm planning on watching it like maybe tomorrow when i'm done with class but it's a very good video tbd yeah i think i'll watch it tomorrow instead of study so <laughs> <laughs> all right but so you're going to say the uh, Estadio Azteca in, in Mexico? Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. Pretty okay. Fair. I am actually going to say, and there's this very, I don't really have a good reason for this. I really want K-State to play in the Superdome, like the Mercedes-Benz Superdome down really? in New Orleans. And yeah. no, that's not because it was the the national title setting. I'm not trying to make like a, a national title joke here. That, that'd be awesome. That'd be sick. I would accept <laughs> that. But... The main reason I say that is because I want a reason to go down to the Superdome because I've never been to a game there, despite the fact that, you know, I am my second team is the Saints. First team's the Chiefs. But, you know, I 
I want a reason to go down to New Orleans. And I think that'd be an awesome environment, you know, to, you know, just a bunch of Cats fans going down to New Orleans. There's probably a great deal of debauchery that would occur. Debauchery. <laughs> debauchery! <laughs> <laughs> I have actually been to the uh, Superdome. Uh, you have? Yeah, I went when I, I think I was, I think I was like 11 or 12. Um, I went for a friend of ours' birthday. Uh, we went to, uh, you know who I'm talking about. And yeah, we have. Uh, and we went to uh, the Saints game. They played the Bucks, and this was back when Mike Glennon was the quarterback, so they were oh, terrible. God. And the Saints the, won the like tr- forty to like fourteen or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it was pretty, it was pretty decent. Um, the one thing I remember is it felt like all the seats were like kind of far away. Like every seat felt like it was kind of far away from the field, mm-hmm. uh, just because it's a very cavernous uh, dome. Mm-hmm. Like it's like like the top of it just like huge. So like like it, it like. AT&T Stadium is like also very big, but it didn't feel as like cavernous, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was still like a really cool place. It looks neat on the outside. It's kind of iconic. Uh, and I'm happy that I went. I'd like to go again from a like time where I can like actually appreciate it and like make like a lasting memory. But yeah. <laughs> other than being 11, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, but that's a solid pick. I like that. My other answer is, was it going to be the death Roomba? Oh, yeah. I actually considered that as well uh, out in Vegas. Um, mm. I was thinking about maybe having the basketball team play out in Vegas as well. Mm. Uh, that, that, could, that could potentially be fun. Basketball I, in Madison Square Garden. That that could be fun as well. Um, I thought about saying football in Arrowhead, but we've done that like several times, actually. Yeah. Like we played like I think like Cal and Iowa there in the early 2000s. We played a few Big 12 titles there, I think. Um, and then we played Iowa State there twice in the late 2000s for some reason. And uh, we won both in very in very Farmageddon ways. And one of them is that blocked extra point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I try to remember what all happens. That I think it's the blocked extra point to win it. And I also think that that was like Grant Gregory uh robo qb game which by robo qb <laughs> i mean like he was literally being held together by like probably like pieces of metal and staples <laughs> and, <laughs> like, like bill snyder was really trotting out a broken man that entire season <laughs> and there was absolutely no reason for it but but he nevertheless did. but yeah do you have any do you have any final notes uh no i do not all right well, uh, first things first, to well, happy Friday, Connor. <laughs> Were you waiting for that on purpose? Yes. Were you extending the episode? Okay. Yeah, no, 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 I wasn't extending the episode. I was just like, that's why I was counting down for two to one. But <laughs> that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We would have gone over to the outro anyway. If you... <laughs> If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>